All right. Uh, welcome back to the Outlaw Country podcast. Uh, I'm Cole with Ben as always. And today we got uh, Curtis Grimes here with us today. So it's nice to have you, man. <laughs> hey, I appreciate you guys having me. Of course, man. So what have you been doing to stay busy since the pandemic hit? Have you um, Obviously, you probably for a while you weren't able to play shows. So what have you been doing to keep you busy? Man, we um, we just moved into a new house uh, a little about a year ago. So I had a lot of yard work to do. I had to build a fence, um, do our landscaping. So I, I tried to take advantage of that part while I was home to get a lot of work done. Um, so that was cool. I was able to be productive in that aspect. And and then, too, just spending time with my kids. I got a, my, my daughter's almost three and our boy is almost one. So, so I got to spend a lot more time than than I would have normally touring, um, hanging out, hanging out with the kiddos. So that's that's been nice. Obviously, I, I would like to be on the road and and um, playing shows and, and making a living. That's but um, kind of the, the the positive outlook on it is like I did get to spend a lot of time at home with my family. So that's that's not something that we can replace. Yeah, that's always nice to have. Have you started doing shows again yet, or are you still holding off? Slowly, slowly. Most of it's just acoustic, and, okay. and even more so of private parties and stuff like that. Um, there aren't many venues that are able to 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 hit the door running right, or hit the ground running right now. Right. Uh, it's mostly just limited to like, like restaurants that have live music. Um, but it's it's honestly worse on my band guys than, than me because at least I can pick up acoustic shows or private gigs. So, so it's really affecting them uh, from the show aspect. And, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with this second wave or whatever, whatever we're calling it. Or, um, but that was my deal is, you know, we made it through the first round and then whenever they started, started closing back up, then that's when it kind of started getting real. Um, so I don't know, man. We uh, we are putting out a, a new single here in a few few weeks. So I, I mean, my current song's still trickling up the charts. So when it's kind of done with its thing, we're gonna send out another one um, pretty quick. So so that's kind of the other the other side of the equation is there are some things that we can control and stay on top of uh, to stay as relevant as possible. But uh, but still, nothing nothing's more more uh, I guess beneficial for us than actually touring and get in front of people. So definitely. So have you guys been in the studio then doing a few things? Or I recorded a, a track of four songs back in February. Okay. And uh, I'm going. I'm actually going to to kind of finish up some little fine tuning, tweaking things, and also mix uh, a couple songs here in a couple weeks. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at right now, or where I'm at as far as new, new music is going. And, and I've kind of been fortunate to have stuff in the pipeline. So, uh, so I'm, not, I'm kind of ahead of the curve in that aspect. So it's just packaging it up. And I was actually just working on some artwork too. So um, I don't know, man, just trying to, trying to keep chugging along, you know? Well, I know back in the day you were a pretty good baseball player. So what what position did you play and what what schools were after you? Um I, I was actually a pitcher. Okay. And I got a scholarship early. I played on I played on select uh a select team that had 
had some scouts out there regularly. So I got in front of that. I went to a little two A school in East Texas. So I didn't really have much exposure outside of the the select tournaments and, and those guys, but I did sign early. So I signed the summer of my junior year with Centenary College over in Shreveport. And um, that was, it was the smallest division one in the nation. So, so that was, that was a D one scholarship, you know, um, even though it was the smallest one you could get. So that was kind of cool coming from a little, a little, little podunk country to a school. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, the baseball was kind of my, my thing actually I still could say is my thing I still uh kind of identify with being a baseball player more so than even a musician just because I, I don't know I don't know if that's something you ever really shake yeah. but um I still kind of feel like an athlete and um I don't know that's how I, I kind of have to do something to, to stay in shape or work out or to just still feel like I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I, I can you know do you uh, still get the chance to play games at all with, like, friends or family or anything like that? Man, not much anymore. I, I played, like, intramural stuff there for a minute or just – look, people I know would have softball teams that they would pick me up to come play. But, honestly, man, I haven't been able to do much of that <laughs> in, in years. But I still – I went through the through the ball with my dad the other day. And I obviously I can't throw near as hard as I used to could, but I, I still can <laughs> – get it from a to b efficiently <laughs> well who who's your favorite mlb team then? so i would kind of by default i'm a rangers fan i grew up okay. about two hours east of dallas so i was a big nolan ryan guy so that was okay. that was when nolan was at texas and and um, so yeah i wanted to be nolan Ryan mm-hmm. when i was when i was growing up so um the rangers were my team I live, I live in San Antonio now, so obviously I don't have any problem pulling for the Astros either. I don't have, I don't have that, that weird dissension between the two like some gung-ho fans do, you know. I, I just – I'm going to pull for any Texas team that is in the playoffs. You know? I don't know if I can cheer for the Astros at all after what went, went down. Well, see, I get, I get it now, but I look at it like this. Obviously, if, if I ha- – Rangers are my team, and as far as that stuff goes, man, I've been in baseball all my life. People still signs from little league, and then high school, you still signs what you can. In the major leagues, other teams are still on signs. So, yeah, I get it on one hand, but on the other hand, when everybody else is doing it and they just got caught and they won the World <laughs> Series, you know, it's kind of I have more of a problem with these with these other MLB guys that are coming out talking crap knowing good and well that their team is doing everything they can to get a sign. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's, that's baseball. And I understand like they abuse the technology aspect. I get it, but don't come out here acting like they're the worst people, worst thing in the world. <laughs> when you know your team would do that if given the opportunity, like that, the hypocrisy is, is a bigger deal to me than, than, um, than throwing the book at the Astros, you know? They about, got caught. <laughs> about Nolan Ryan, um, remember his famous, like, headlock where he's punching the guy? Yeah. The- <laughs> uh, didn't he say, like, he grew up on a ranch and back in back when he was working cattle, if they wouldn't cooperate, he would do the same thing with them? <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, this is the anniversary of that. So, uh, it's very fitting you bring that up. But, um, but yeah, that was 
That's what happens when you mess with the old man that knows the thing or two right there. <laughs> All right, so you probably get asked about this a lot, but we kind of want to know uh, what it was like being on The Voice and, like, your opinion on what it does for, like, upcoming artists and kind of things along those lines. So I look at it as you got to take it for what it's worth. And the, at the end of the day, it is exposure that costs – if you were to put a price tag on primetime television exposure and someone seeing you sing, that costs companies millions of dollars for a one-minute slot. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's exposure that you can't even afford to buy that puts you in front of an audience that you would never be in front of otherwise. And so that's kind of how I looked at it going in. I didn't even really – you're not even guaranteed that if you try out or make it to Los Angeles that you get any – any FaceTime. Uh, so it's kind of a big risk, but, at, but at that point, uh, it was worth it. I don't know if it would be worth putting three to six months canceling shows right now. I don't know if it'd be worth canceling three to six months of shows right now, just for a chance, but, it, but then it was, and that's kind of what you do. You, you look ahead and you cancel everything you're committed to just in case you make it on to the final round. Uh, so we did it, made the cut, flew out there, and then once you're in it, then you're kind of you're at their mercy. Um, and to be completely honest with you, if you don't do what they want you to do, then there's someone in line behind you that will. And kind of looking back, I would do, I would have done some things different, but at the time I was just thankful that one I made the cut, that I was there. I beat out thousands of other people for that for that spot. Um, sorry, there's, uh, like I told you earlier, I'm on dad duty, so there's going to be kid noises going on in the background. We'll, no we'll just deal with it. Um, but once I got there, I was just thankful to be there and I was like, all right, I'm going to maximize, make the most of this while I'm here. And the coolest thing for me was you got to meet a lot of up and coming artists kind of in that same boat, uh, from different genres all over the country. Uh, and you're kind of confined to a hotel for weeks at a time so there there were some pretty cool jam sessions going on um and that was the kind of the highlight for me outside of the exposure and being on tv or whatever but um the only thing i didn't like about it was they they tell you what song you're going to sing oh really? so for instance when i was doing my my audition from the beginning i was doing like a george Strait song i think i did one of my songs and and then maybe like a clay a clay walker song or something and then when when I when we got to the point to where they're telling me what song I'm going to sing, like to walk on stage for the chairs, then that's when they told me I was going to sing uh, "Hillbilly Bone" Blake Shelton's song. And so, like, I started laughing. This was the producers. This is like the talent scout and one of the producers, and then like somebody a staffer. And I started laughing. Like, what? You don't like Blake Shelton? Because he had just gotten added. Uh, as a coach up until that point it was like CeeLo, Christina Aguilera and Adam Levine mm -hmm. so then they added a country guy and I was like all right this is cool so I was like no that's not it but if I was going to pick a song of Blake Shelton's to sing to try to impress somebody it definitely wouldn't be Hillbilly Bone you know <laughs> probably go with I don't know Austin or something like that stop baby she had to get the whip into you being mean to her brother <laughs> but I, uh, I would have gone with like 
Austin or some, some other song that I feel like I could impress somebody with. Yeah. Um, but you get along there. I, I was able to stick around. The next song they gave me was Lady Antebellum, Need You Now, and then and then uh, Robert Palmer, Addicted to Love. So I never really got a song that was just kind of in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thankful to be able to make it. I think there were eight people left when I got kicked off. So I got to stick around for a little bit. But um, the coolest, or aside from meeting the up-and-coming artists, like as far as my career-wise, the best thing that happened was I met a guy named Robert Philhart who works for ASCAP in Nashville. And he said, hey, when this whole thing's over, here's my card. Come out, fly out to Nashville. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you to people in the publishing world. Uh, and set up some co-writes because up until then I was just writing stuff by myself and um, that was kind of all I knew I never cut an outside song didn't know anything about publishing all I knew was rent a PA haul it up steps to blind pick pub and play a show and make 30 bucks and go home mm-hmm. <laughs> so all that all when I when that was done I went out there and um, he he introduced me to, to some people in, on music row publishing company uh folks and also set up co-writes one of the co-writes for my first week was with trent wilman and um of course the only thing i knew about trent really was beer man and on again off again tonight you know stuff as an artist but uh, i started writing with trent one of the best writers i've ever been around and uh and he was working with doing the cody johnson record and i was on the same management group as cody so they asked they asked me if, if you know, I wanted to use Trent, and I was like, absolutely. So he's been working with me ever since. So all that stuff kind of adds up, you know. This, this, this door opens up, and then you, you kind of make this connection and this connection and this connection, and then you have somebody like that that's in your, your corner from very early on in my career. And uh, that's, a, that's another one of those things that's kind of priceless. But, uh, but that, that took me to another level. Uh, in the sense of just being an artist, you know, career-wise, um, song-wise, write, writing with, with people that were way better than me that made me better as a writer. So so a lot of people, I don't think, understand that aspect of it when they see, oh, so-and-so went and did a reality TV show and blah, blah, blah. They don't understand that, yeah, that's not, that's definitely the, the least important thing that you do throughout that whole experience. And, and plus, too, I mean, before that, I could barely sit in the do a radio interview without, you know, fumbling through it and, and not really knowing what to do. But when they put the, the light on you and you have to do those on-the-fly interviews, it makes doing radio interviews a cakewalk. So I learned so I learned so many more things uh, from from that aspect too that 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 you just don't get experience doing unless you go do something like that. So. What was it like having Phil uh, Green as your coach? And uh, did you feel like you had any pressure or, like, did you have to, like, prove anything since it wasn't Blake? Uh, man, earlier I talked about they added Blake late. So the whole time they're, they're like, picking your brain, kind of feeling you out because, to be honest, you're a pawn in the game. They're not there to make you a star. They're there to make a TV show. And, obviously, you're, uh, you're one of the players in the game. But they, they want to try to use the, the people that they feel like are the most marketable or that they can sell at the end of the day. So the whole time they're interviewing, you know, who's seen me want to be on, why, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, when they added Blake, of course, I wanted to be on Blake's team of the four options I had. Um, but before before Blake, it was just CeeLo, Christina, and Adam Levine. Well, obviously, I didn't think Christina Aguilera would really do anything for me besides, I don't know, looking at her or something. <laughs> and you got – then you got Adam Adam Levine, who I didn't know anything about Maroon Five, you know. But CeeLo had a "Forget You" was the biggest song of the year that year. So I'm thinking, current relevant. He's the he's the biggest name currently at the time. So I said, if I had to pick one, I guess I'll pick CeeLo, since a lot of people right now are familiar with him from this song right now. Right. And and then they threw me a Blake song. CeeLo turned around. I'm not saying it's rigged, but it's just <laughs> kind of ironic how, how it all plays out. Once once I was telling them I wanted to be on CeeLo's team, they gave me a Blake song, and Blake didn't turn around. So you're on CeeLo's team. You see them just for the taping, really. Um, I think most of them were on tour or, or at least had stuff going where they're kind of flying in, shooting the scenes and flying out. So you don't really spend a lot of time with them. Our actual vocal coach was, uh, was like professionals that do that for a living. Like the guy that did us, he's like vocal coach for Justin Timberlake and Kelly Rowland. And I mean, they're, they, they work with high profile people. So those are the ones that you sit in there and like run through the song with and like figure out how you're going to sing it and arrange it. And then of course the, the celebrity coaches are kind of just the, the eye candy for the show. But the little bit we were around CeeLo, he, he always had, a Yep, and he had, like his good. He always had like at least one or two of the Goody Mob guys with him, just like hanging out with him, you know, doing doing whatever they're doing. And uh, and his personal assistant was kind of more of our our day to day contact. But I don't know. That wasn't long after that where his uh, his reputation didn't didn't go <laughs> did not advance. It went backwards rather quickly. Yeah. So I you know it kind of is what it is. Well, your single "Home to Me" was put in a Supercuts commercial. How did they come come to you with that opportunity? Uh, so that was another thing that was a result of the voice. Somebody along the way, because there's so much more emphasis on the marketing side and the branding side than the music side. At the end of the day, so somebody on wardrobe knew somebody in the marketing over here and. That was a connection. They just reached out just from that purely okay. as a result of the voice. Gotcha. Well, Curtis, anyone that keeps up with you and your social media knows that you're very passionate about your religion. Uh, have you always grown up in a, a Christian household or was there a moment you really found God? Man, I did. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Because that laid a pretty good foundation. You know, I grew up in pretty pretty traditional conservative church environment, um, family that didn't drink, didn't cuss. We know we're at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Um, so I, I was I got saved pretty early, like eight or nine, and um, I would say in high school is kind of when I really started backsliding. Just kind of hanging out on the weekends with my baseball buddies, drinking it, you know. Of course, none of that was happening in my house, so I kind of had to hide it. And then when I went into college, it was kind of full force. And I started getting into the Texas country scene and like going to the concerts and just kind of 
when I started doing that, um, I started off as just a fan, you know, like singing. My my roommate freshman year was actually our third baseman, and he had a guitar, so I started messing around with his guitar in the dorm room, trying to learn those Randy Rogers, Eli Young, Wade Bowen songs that I was listening to at the time. And um, from there, I just kind of stuck with it, got better at the guitar, tried to start dabbling and writing my own songs. So the following year, I moved down to San Marcos, kind of where you had Green Hall, River Road Ice House, Cheatham Street, all those places where you could go to concerts regularly. And uh, I just kind of started getting into that lifestyle, getting into that, what I thought that's what you do if you wanted to be a Texas country singer. Um, so then when I, when I became an artist, I just kind of convinced myself that that was part of it. That, you know, like I, I didn't even like going on stage if I didn't have a couple shots. And we kind of had a, a regional Bud Light sponsorship too. So you're like, oh, I got to drink this because I'm sponsored. Uh, so I just, you know, you do that for for five or six years, it gets to where where your tolerance is increases greatly, and um, and then too you start feeling like like we'd show up at a show late, the throw and go like a like a concert, and you, I didn't have time to drink before I got on stage, and I just felt so weird. like I felt like I couldn't put on a good show, so I kind of had a had a dependency on it in that aspect. Um, but after a while, man, when you just drink all the time, you know, wake up, hair the dog, starts messing with, like, you just, you're always hung over. Like, he starts messing with you in that, in that yeah. regard. And it's different if you do it once or twice on the weekend than when you get in the routine of doing it, like, every day. Um, so I just hit a point to where I, I was having a lot of conviction, you know, because on one hand, I'm a Christian. And then on the other hand, like, you wouldn't even know that by how I was living my life or what I was doing. And and I just hit a point to where I was like, you know, if if I'm going to keep doing music, then I want to represent Christ. I want to use this talent and this skill and this ability that I've been blessed with. Because you got to remember, I didn't grow up wanting to sing music. I grew up wanting to play baseball. And then here I am, like, with a successful music career in a lot of aspects. And I just kind of felt like I was, wasn't using it for the, the purpose that I should be using it for. Um, so that really kind of shifted my focus and, and my priority of what I wanted to do with music. Well, then when you, got, when you kind of have your mind made up in that regard, then nothing else really matters as far as trying to impress somebody. Because if, if you want to to put yourself in the best position to be the most successful in, in the entertainment industry or specifically for us, Texas country music, then you're not going to, hold on a second. You're going to do what kind of the status quo expects or wants you to do. And a lot, a lot of times that's going to be, you're going to put out drinking party songs because that's the, that's your target audience. Yeah. And so you, it's kind of easy to, to kind of, fall into well i have to do this or because i want to get record sales or get played on radio or people to come to my show or or whatever it is and by not doing that 
you can, it's not saying you can't be successful, but you're definitely not putting yourself in the best position to be most successful in in an, in the business where your target audience is that you know like a lot of a lot of the music industries make make um, is based on alcohol sales. The more alcohol you sell, the more valuable are to most of these venues we play at, mm-hmm. and the more the more potential you have to for for a label or for a management company or whatnot. So. So when you put when you when you say I'm not going to do that, you're limiting yourself in in, in several ways. Um, so I I was willing to accept that and willing to say you know what if if I don't make it or if I if I'm not this that or what or whatnot because of this like I'm okay with it like I'll just get another job and I'll do music for fun and still you know use this to share the gospel or or at least represent Christ in the best way that I can with, uh, with what I've been given. And when you do that, it takes so much pressure off because, because you're not trying to, like I said, you're not trying to impress nobody. You're not trying to guess, well, what do I have to do? What, what is this? That you just, I said, I'm going to make the record. I want to make how, how I want to make it. Um, I've always kind of liked the more traditional country sound. So I said, that's what I'm going to do. I said, I'm all my lyrics are going to be, pretty much positive or faith-based or at least not you know glorifying uh drinking partying cutting up just because that's that's not how i wanted to live and, and it's it kind of would be dishonest if if i was just putting out those songs and then like oh i don't really want to live that lifestyle mm-hmm. um so i don't know man I, I that really shaped my direction and and now i just kind of do it and what happens happens and and i'll make the most of that and i try not to worry about you know what if i did this or what if i did that and man i've been been pretty blessed so far and here i'm still able to to keep doing music so uh, i'll just kind of ride that wave as long as i can support my family definitely so when when you're out on the road what is a typical day like for you um when you have a show man we try to we try to get there to give us as much time as possible between when we're done with uh sound check so we'll, we'll go to wherever say we're playing abilene we'll go to abilene we'll load in three or four set up do our sound check and then go to the hotel and i always go i'll either go to the gym or go run or do some kind of workout um some of the guys will sleep and then we'll grab some food and head back to the venue. But for me, like I said earlier, I got I got to do something to, to get my athletic fix. And also, it's just kind of like my my de de stressor, my 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 woosah to chill out um, and not think too much or get nervous for the show. Uh, and then play the show. And, and I used to we used to hang out. If we play somewhere on Saturday night, we used to hang out and stick around. Now we try to try to get back home. When you start having kids, it changes. It changes <laughs> you, you what you wanting to stick around and you know party, hang out, or whatnot. And you want to get back home and see the babies. Well, um, I know sometimes you do a little substitute on the side. What is that like being a country artist and going in with all those kids? Or do any of them? Like, are any of them big fans of your music or anything like that? 
And it was awesome. I, I absolutely loved it um, when we were living in Gilmer for a minute. So I lived, I lived in Nashville for three years. It's when, uh, when I was writing a lot and I was flying back and forth. My band was still based in, in Austin. So I was flying back and forth every weekend. But uh, after we left Nashville, we moved to Gilmer, which is my hometown area where I grew up. And I, I wanted some kind of little supplemental part-time job to do during the week. Because um, at that time, we, all, we only had the one baby. And uh, my wife was working from home. And just I just wanted something, something to do, just like I said, during the week. So I wasn't sitting there twiddling my thumbs. And uh, so I started doing personal training stuff. I got my NASA certification and did that. And my mom's actually a superintendent at a school district, or not superintendent, she's business manager at the school district there. So she asked me if I wanted to sub. And I was like, absolutely. All my, all my aunts and like a lot of people in my family are, are teachers. And my wife just, just started teaching recently too. Um, but so I went and did it and of course, you know, there's a lot of kids that want to take pictures with you and ask you a million questions, but <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I had fun with it, man. I, I really enjoyed it. I, that's something I could definitely do later on down the line if I got to ever get a, a real job. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind going into teaching. Hey, it's a great career path. Yeah, he's studying to be a teacher right now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's awesome, man. I, I had a lot of fun. It's kind of like – you get you get out you, you get out of what you put into it. So for me, I enjoy talking to kids. I enjoy, <laughs> you know, just tell, telling them about stuff and giving them advice. You know, all the kids that play the guitars in the class come up and ask you, "Hey, man, I want to play guitar." You know, <laughs> so you get you get to kind of talk with those guys. But I had a lot of fun, man. Oh, that's yeah. very. I'd, cool. I'd do it again. Um. So. When you're on the road touring, kind of a weird question, but when you're on the road touring and stop at a gas station, what's your go-to snack on the road? It depends on what time of year it is. <laughs> I, try to, I, try to, I try to eat good and, and look decent with my shirt off going into the summer, but in the wintertime, it's game on. Yeah. <laughs> it's game on. So, so uh, uh, it depends. We'll say in, in the healthy mode. I'll usually get some almonds or banana or uh, beef jerky or something, something in that vein. But other other time a year, it's whatever. Sometimes I'll go in sugar benches and just load up and get ridiculous. But I always always it's hard to go wrong with just like Doritos. I like the salt. I like the ranch ones, but also those salsa verde ones, the oh, yeah. green bag. <laughs> yep. those are hard to beat. Those are hard to beat. <laughs> Uh, so they got they got uh, another random thing so they have these uh ah oh, they have uh what is it called aloe vera drinks now those are pretty okay. solid too i've been i've been on i was on the aloe vera kick there for a minute but yeah we it's most of our meals are our gas station meals so you got to get creative yes yes you do uh so you mentioned earlier you were from gilmer texas uh when you're growing up you living on a farm or like doing like uh ranching stuff or were you kind of like more in the small town itself? so so we always lived out in the country rural um and the first job i had was a ranch camp for my ag teacher so there's a lot of a lot of in another the second job i had was for an older guy that lived down the road just bailing hay mending 
fence and all that stuff. So that's kind of the environment I grew up in. We never, we had uh, one house we lived in, we had six acres. So we had some goats and sheep and I got some cows one summer to some, I got some steers to, to feed out. Um, so I always enjoy just tinkering with that kind of stuff. You know, like ideally, if I, let's put it this way, if I ever won the lottery, like I definitely would have a cattle ranch. So like I just love, I love fooling with them and just that kind of way of life, I guess. Okay. Um. So kind of a, what, what's something that we, that that's different about you that maybe we haven't touched on yet that maybe most of your fans don't know about you? Is there Man, uh, <laughs> athlete, I don't think a lot of people know that I do the person, how much I identify more with the athletic world, more, more with, with working out. Um, that's kind of more, more my forte than music. Cause the extent of my music knowledge is my roommate had a guitar, learned to play the guitar, write songs. And it's just kind of very late in my life. I mean, I was, I was like 19 before I even started doing any of this. So, so I, I still feel very fairly new at even playing guitar. You know, obviously I've done it for 10, 10 plus years now. So I'm, it's, I can do it good enough, but I still don't feel like I can't just rip a solo or do anything crazy. And so, like, we're around other bands and musicians. Like, I, I'm like, oh, it sounds like this. Do this, da da da. You know, like, I don't, I don't know all the, the proper music terms and stuff. But when it comes to sport, like, if we were to go to a baseball game right now, like, I would be more in tune with talking about what this pitcher's going to throw, why he's going to throw it, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Just that's, I, I have more knowledge than that. Um, and and the other thing too is. Aside from my music, I started up a ministry a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, finger ministry. Yeah, so I was I was doing what I called motivational Monday, and people were asking if I'd ever thought about doing a gospel album. And kind of my answer was, yeah, I'd love to if I could afford it. Because um, I, if I was going to do something, I didn't want to just go record something on acoustic in my phone in the living room. Like I would want to do like a real record. Uh, so anyways, long story short, I started up a GoFundMe, a lot of people donated, wound up having more than enough to do that. And the whole point of it wasn't even to sell the record or make money. I just wanted to give it to people, you know, like that was going to be part of my ministry, my gospel sharing, um, through music. And so we had more than enough and, and I kind of, it was on my heart to, to start giving people Bibles and I can't really tell you where that came from or why. But uh, that was just kind of the, the, the thing that was, was on my heart from, from what to do with, with this ministry. And so I started it, started up this nonprofit and all the, all the money from gospel sales or streams or royalties from that album went into the ministry too. And then people kept donating. Um, so I just go buy Bibles in bulk and have them, you know, at the, at the merch table every night. Uh, I send them out by the box, by the boxes, uh, missionary groups and and anytime we have some kind of event i'll just really kind of push it because for for me that's one way i can immediately impact someone with sharing the gospel you know um and i kind of went the route of giving them full whole like complete bibles instead of the the just the new testament because i, I kind of feel like it's more of, a, of an entity 
kind of like if I'm going to give somebody a gift, like I feel like they would appreciate a, uh, a better gift than just something that, that could be used as a pamphlet. Um, and so, yeah, we just started doing that. And to date, we've given out 5,800 of them. Wow. wow. Um, and great. man, you know, what's crazy. Is, so the obvious thing would be like to team up with Gideon's um, or somebody like that. But I'd reached out to them and I got nowhere. Like, no, they didn't return my calls and, and just didn't really have any luck doing it. So it kind of, I was like, well, all right, I guess I'll do it by myself then. And, and so to kind of have been able to, to, to distribute so many is, is really cool in regards of doing it kind of single handedly. Um, but I, I just placed an order for uh, about. Eight thousand dollars. So it's, it's going to be another fifteen hundred Bibles or so, and and I get I get like good quality ones to to at the merch table or hand to people, and then the, the the ones by the boxes. And I do those in English and Spanish, and then I have kid ones too. Uh, so it's kind of a, a different, a big audience that that we can give them to, as opposed to just just one whole Bible entity. But uh, but yeah, that's kind of where my I don't know, passion is, if you will. Um, we, we've been able to, to play a lot of church events and like outreach things. And, and that's one area where I, I treat every venue we play at, you know, bar, honky-tonk, rodeo, festival. Like to me, it's all the same. It's just people at the end of the day that, that I get to sing music to. And while, while I have the microphone, I'll, I'll take a little time to kind of tell them about about myself and and why I believe what I do and and I after coming from I guess we'll say the testimony that I have it, it's it's very humbling and I can relate to pretty much everybody out there that, that I'm that I'm talking to and it, it kind of keeps me from falling into that you know, Pharisee mindset or just kind of looking down or preachy to someone because it wasn't long ago where I was right on the, in, in that audience, you know, doing the same thing. So if I can just tell someone, hey, you know, like I get up here, play shows, have a good time, sing songs, and I don't have to drink. And I, I thought that that it was part of it. You know, maybe maybe I can help somebody out there that's struggling in that aspect, you know, kind of, kind of like I was, I would definitely say I was, if, if I wasn't classified as an alcoholic, I was definitely dependent on alcohol. Um, so that's just one thing, but, but, but there are many others, man. We, we're all, we're all people at the end of the day and a lot of us are broken in, in many regards. So I just try to love on people and tell them that Jesus loves them and, Point them in that direction while we're all we're all we're all trying to do the best with what we have, you know. Yeah, that's great. Well, sure. we just got a few more questions for you. I know Cole's got one. He's been really excited <laughs> to ask you about. I wouldn't say excited, but um, so can you kind of tell us about your song uh, Ten Year Town" and why you included that on the Undeniably Country" album, and kind of why you wrote it? So I wrote that with uh, with my buddy Kenneth. And it was right. So you got to realize before I get before that record, I had a management deal. It was the same management company as uh, Cody Johnson, uh, Zane Williams, and and we were we were all in that group. 
and they were there they kind of they had us a pub deal and they were paying for our records so they kind of had a a lot to say about which songs were recorded um they they didn't say hey you're gonna do this 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 but they kind of like pitched your songs and after the thousandth song you're like well i guess i better pick one the best one that i can and and so it just kind of funnels funnels a good word funnels you into a more commercial direction and you know you don't the whole time you can say all day oh, i'm never going to change i'm never going to change never going to change never going to change and then when somebody else pays for your record at the end of the day they have a lot more to say about it than 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 you want them to or or and and it's kind of i i understand it but there were a couple songs that i wanted to record but it kind of got axed that i put on that record and i mean it's it's not it's i would even say it's not even a white elephant but country music has definitely changed from from where i would like top 40 to sound like and also even even within that man <laughs> there's there's clicks and there's cool kids clubs in in a lot of scenes not just nashville um but i just felt like writing the song just kind of about that about yeah. calling a spade a spade <laughs> and and i really did the first time i went to nashville like i thought the grand Ole opry was at the ryman so that's where that line came from um and I don't know, man, that, that was just kind of me being honest about the situation and, and also kind of saying, Hey, this is where, I, this is how I feel about it. And, and also too, remember earlier when I was saying, once you get to a point to where you don't have to impress anybody or you're not concerned about radio play or sales or this or that, you just can be completely honest and it is what it is. So that's kind of, that song was part of establishing that on that record. Um, because that was a big record for me. That was my biggest record to date. And the fun fact is, is I paid for that record myself. I <laughs> called all the shots by myself, did the artwork by myself, and uploaded it to CD Baby and Spotify and all that junk by myself. And, and it wound up being my biggest record. So that kind of told me something, you know? Yeah. That, hey, do it your way. And at least it's going to be more genuine, authentic, and real. And, oh, by the way, it's going to be your most successful one, too. So quit trying to worry about what other people tell you you need to do. Um, but, yeah, 10-year town is is uh, pretty much telling it like it is. It yeah, still we, hasn't changed. <laughs> that's what we're all about here. We like those real good classic country guys. The more genuine, the better. <laughs> um, to kind of close things out, I guess we want to know, what which country artist do you did you look up to the most when you were coming up in the business? So we'll take it way back. I I grew up on Alan Jackson and George Strait, that '90s country music. Like that's that's what I think of when I think of country music. And then then I kind of when I was in junior high, I started listening to rap and hip hop and top four, you know mix whatever pop was, and then. Um, when I got into high school and had my own vehicle and I started digging around on the, the traditional, the more traditional stuff. And then that, that really kind of led me into the, the Texas country scene, just kind of looking for that stuff that, cause this is about the time too, where, where country radio started going into the more pop thing. Right. So it's funny now, if you were to go back and listen to, 
to stuff that they were calling pop back then, like like some of Kenny Chesney's earlier stuff and some of, you know, Brad Paisley's earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. Stuff now that if you go listen to, you're like, no, that's neo-traditional country. Yeah. <laughs> At the time, though, that was pop. You know, like that wasn't George Jones. So that was that was pop country and blah, blah, blah. So when it started doing going in that direction is, is kind of when I was out. Um, but still, man, Alan Jackson, George Strait. Uh, I would say vocally even Clay Walker, man. That that That's just – the stuff that I remember singing along to in the truck growing up. And I don't think that uh, that's probably how it is. I'm going to assume for, for everybody, you kind of, you connect harder to the, to the stuff that you listen to when you really kind of make your, when you're the one that makes decisions about what you're listening to, as far as when you can change a radio station and, and when you first like recognizing, you know, beyond the, the, twinkle twinkle little stars and whatever you listen to when you're a kid and i think uh that's what you latch on to or at least least that's that's how it is for me definitely well curtis we appreciate your time today we'll have to come check you out at buck's bar we're we're in omaha so i know you're playing october so yes sir we'll definitely have to come out there and and check out your show we love going over there so we appreciate we always have a good time and buck's good people too He, uh, he always takes good care of us so yeah I'll have, to, I'll have to see you guys when we head up that way. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for talking to us today. <laughs> have a good rest of your day. No problem. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a good one. Thanks. Bye.